It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with Brett Rook. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are incredible! Over and up, boys. Yeah, well, you're half right. This is amateur hour. This is going to be huge. I believe this is going to be our finest hour. Our friend, our friend. Just when I think you've said the stupidest thing ever, you keep talking. I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard. That boy ain't right. The simplest way to put it. I have problems. Welcome to the alleged show. Here we go. Time to take you home on a Thursday. It is the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. Hopefully you've been waiting for 4 o'clock to get here, not only so you can leave the office, but enjoy a couple of hours of our local perspective on sports talk here in the Summit City. Brett Rump with Adam Lundy. Coming up on the show, we've got Kevin Bowen from 93.5, 107.5, the fan down in Indianapolis. He is going to join us, talk all things NFL Combine, the Colts' position on all of this as far as whether they should trade up, whether they're going to get their guy at 4 uh, who is the guy? Do we have enough hints? We're getting a lot of clues, but do we really know, are those genuine clues? Or are those making, uh, maybe perhaps throwing off with some, you know, smoke and mirrors, trying to get people kind of looking one way, and then you sneak in the other side and take the guy you really want? I don't know. We'll find out. We'll get Kevin Bowen's per, uh, perspective on this coming up about 30 minutes down the road. Hour number two, we've got Paul Casaro. His team playing in uh, their conference tournament right now. They are the University of Indianapolis Greyhounds. UIndy. What a year he has had. Three losses all season long. They currently are the number one ranked team in the Midwest region in Division II basketball. That means they could actually host, I think, three games in the, in the NCAA Division II tournament and uh, get it on their home floor. Uh, and that would be huge. But Pocasaro is a Indianapolis product, went to Ron Kelly High School. His sister, uh, I believe it was Lindsay Casaro, I think she won Miss Basketball. I'm, I'm trying to remember if she actually won Miss Basketball or was just All-State. But I think she might have won Miss Basketball. She went on to UCLA and played with the Bruins. But uh, Paul was here briefly I think one season as a Mastodon's assistant and then got the opportunity to go down and replace a legend in coach Stan Gerard down at UIndy. And what a job he has done. And he's even done it with a couple of guys that were uh, were uh, signees off the Mastodons. And it's not like he stole them. They were guys that just didn't get enough minutes here in Purdue, Fort Wayne, wanted to get an opportunity to play more. And... There, you know, he knew who they were. They had relationships already established. They went down there and uh, and have had success down in Indianapolis. So, anyway, we're going to talk to him because they're right in the heart of their conference tournament. In fact, we scheduled to talk to him last night. Today's their first game, and I think they were playing at 1 o'clock. So, I hope, and I didn't look, but I hope they won their first tournament game. Because if they lost, we might not call Paul Casaro. 
I don't know if we want to talk to the coach. They come off a loss, but uh, it was one of those like one eight matchups or something. I I was feeling pretty good that he was going to get the victory, so I went ahead and asked him to go ahead and join us today if he would give us the ten minutes of time, and he was more than gracious to spend some time with us. So he'll join us. Also on the way, it's our weekly conversation with Parkview Sports Medicine's Eric Dute Dutekevich. We're going to break down everything happening in the high school sectionals. Yes, Adam. Would you like to know the score of that game? Yes, I would, if you know it. They won 79-77 in double overtime. Oh, my goodness. We almost lost a guest. 79-77, double overtime. Over Quincy. Oh, he's going to be, I don't know if he's going to be excited, frustrated. Or exhausted. Exhausted, yeah. I mean, uh, wow. And then what do they, who do they play next, since you've got it there? They advance now in the tournament. Do we know who they're going to play? They're uh, they're they're facing TBD as of now. Oh, that mighty team TBD! You never want to see them on the opposite side of your bracket. Uh, that that means probably the team that's playing now or scheduled to play is probably the team they will end up facing in the next round of their conference tournament. But uh, but we'll have him on coming up at five twenty. By the way, speaking of college basketball tonight. A 50-plus-year-old record is likely to fall in college basketball. Maybe even the most prestigious of all records in college basketball. The most prolific scorer in college basketball history will be a new name, possibly by the end of tonight. Antoine Davis is giving a run at the record that was set by Pistol Pete Maravich over 50 years ago. Tonight is the night. History could be made. And I watched Sports Center. I've tried to follow Sports Talk Radio today. And nobody's talking about it. A 50 plus year old record with one of the greatest players in the history of college basketball, Pistol Pete Maravich. Why is there not more credit being given to Antoine Davis? Is it because he doesn't go to a Power 5 school? Is it because he's a mid-major as maybe the third or fourth most popular team in Detroit? I don't know, but it's terribly unfair to Antoine Davis and the career that he has had at Detroit. Because this has been a guy that not only has the points, but he's also got like 500 career assists. He's never played a selfish game. He's just a guy that knows how to get a good shot and hit difficult shots. I mean, not every shot looks like a good shot, but yet there's good results because he's practiced them. And so a lot of times it's that step back, step to the side type of fade away from three. He can hit that. Sometimes it's a drive and a big throw up off the glass. Maybe it gets him to the free throw line because he's a 90% free throw shooter. He's a very skilled scorer. He can score a number of different ways. And tonight, all he needs is 25 points to tie, 26 to become the all-time NCAA scoring record holder. And you've heard almost nothing about it today. Really deserves the national coverage. Detroit Mercy, 
after the win against the Mastodons. And I said in that game that the Mastodons were going to be the great defender of the Pistol Pete record. Well, since the Mastodons gave up 38 and got beat, now you've got Antoine Davis probably setting the mark tonight against Youngstown State. But if you look at the career marks for Antoine Davis, and I, I was just, the Horizon League did put out a press release today talking about it. Uh, Antoine Davis is the NCAA record holder with 143 consecutive games scored in double figures. On January 14th, he broke the all-time three-point record with a school record 11 triples. He has 584 three-pointers in his career. He's the second player in NCAA history ever to get 3,000 points and have 500 assists. Uh, he is the Horizon League's all-time leading scorer, obviously. Uh, he leads the nation in scoring. He leads the nation in total points, total three-pointers, three-pointers per game, total field goals scored. His 28.4 points per game would be a Horizon League record uh, that goes back to a record that was held in 83-84. So that's a 40-year-old record, or 39 if you want to be picky. Um and here's the other thing that's impressive about Antoine Davis. Uh, he's only uh, eight or seven triples away from the all-time three-point record set by Steph Curry at Davidson. But also, this guy's like all-horizon, all-academic. I think he's got like a 3.8 GPA. So he is a true student-athlete as well. Not getting special treatment or favoritism because he's a coach's kid. He's gone out. He's worked for it. He's earned it. And tonight, a Horizon League player who you had a chance to see if you got tickets when he was here in Fort Wayne is going to become the target for all other college basketball players, all other top scorers in college basketball in the future uh, to chase down the all-time scoring record because I think he will break it. Um, he's been putting up numbers over the last month, probably big enough. I think he's averaging like 32 points a game, 33 points a game or something like that over his last six or seven contests. So uh, all he needs tonight, 25 to tie, 26 to set the all-time record against Youngstown State, which is not a team known for their defense. They allow, I think, 73 or 74 points a game. So I think he's going to get the all-time record tonight. Yeah, a couple texts about it on the text line, uh, 46862. Someone said, didn't Pete do it in three years? Antoine's like five or six years in, isn't he? And okay, then some, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're going to answer that question. because some, Someone else said the same thing. They said, I, Pistol Pete set that record in three years without a three-point line. Might be a reason people aren't excited. Okay, here's the deal. Here's what you got to look into. Because my first thought was, yeah, he's getting bonus time. But he actually... Didn't we determine yesterday that he's actually taken less shots to score the points than Pistol Pete did? Yep, about 200 less. Yeah, 200 less shots. So if we're going to argue about time, let's argue about how many shots it takes to get that many points. Also, 18 less shots attempted per game than Pete. <laughs> 18 less shot attempts per game. Yeah, Pete, Pistol Pete averaged over 44, didn't he? Or something no, like, he, he was 38 field 38, goals attempted per game. Well, he scored at, 44 points a game. Antoine's at 20 uh, field goals attempted a game. Yeah, so if you want to talk about efficiency, we can talk about efficiency. Yes, it's taken him more time, but one of the reasons this record has held for so long is because nobody in today's game is allowed 
to shoot the ball 38 times. I mean, that's it's a 40-minute game, Adam. That's every minute of the game you're getting a shot up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's a ridiculous number. That's like every possession. I and feel so like. everybody that plays today could say the record's never going to be broken because back in his day, they let him shoot 38 times, right? Now, in reverse, we're saying... Well, Antoine's only breaking the record because he got extra time to do it. Maybe that's what it took because we just don't play the same game and we don't have a guy being allowed to shoot. And maybe if Antoine was allowed to shoot 38 times a game, maybe he had broke it in three. I, yeah, I would say he'd probably be able to do that. Someone's accusing you of uh, dropping an announcer's jinx. Someone said Davis is going to come out tonight and drop an egg. Uh, rump, rump jinxed him. He can't hear me. He's too far away. Don't blame <laughs> it on me. He's got a lot of other things to worry about than what I'm saying here in Fort Wayne. And, I, and, and let's put it this way. I'm sure there's been a lot of people that have been much closer to Antoine that have been asking him and, and questioning and you know, hey, you're going to get your record tonight. You know, he's probably been hearing it and having to play through it. And uh, and clearly it has been a goal of his because over the last month he has upped the shot attempt slightly. His percentages have increased and his points per game went from on the season about 26.7 a game to over 28 a contest just in the last five or six games. So you know, clearly he's putting up numbers where he's chasing down that record, and now he's got the opportunity to do it. But, uh, yeah, if, if that happens tonight, <laughs> don't at me. It's not my fault. And if they get beat, it could be career over. Yeah, and then... It, you know, nothing else left. Right. I mean, it's not like he has a choice. Are you going to come back or are you going to retire? He's got nothing left. I mean, it doesn't happen tonight. It doesn't happen. Nope. After tonight, or if they lose, you're going to look at him pursuing a career yeah. in pro ball. Or, or, or pursuing me, because I gave him the <laughs> announcer's things. Uh, he, yeah, he's, uh, he's an outstanding player. And, and to me, yes, he's had extra time. But, you know, the COVID year was so emotionally difficult on everybody. You didn't know if there was going to be a season or not. Every week, you weren't sure if you were going to get an opponent or not. Didn't know if that opponent would change. I mean, that year was complete chaos, and it was a shortened season. So when you say five years, it really wasn't a full five years because you took about a third of the season and wiped it out because of COVID. So it really was more, a little over four and a half. But uh, but I think the, the real telling stat is that Pistol Pete Maravich shot over 200 times more in a three-year career than Antoine Davis has shot in a five-year career. I, I still can't get you, over. You can't get over that. Thirty-eight shots 38 a game. Shot a minute. Yeah, it was uh, it was crazy, and uh, and so uh, you know you got to give him that part of it. Four six eight six two is Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Four six eight six two. Big one tonight. Also, Purdue Boilermakers is tonight the night they can get their mojo back. They got to find what they had back in January. And part of that is just hitting shots, taking care of the basketball. You know, turnover started to become an issue. Zach Eady maybe didn't have the same kind of, and I don't want to say same kind of impact, because he's obviously a very impactful player. And when you score 22 with 15 rebounds, you should probably be considered making an impact. But he had scored like 30. You know, it was almost like he went from a 30-17 guy or a 30-18 guy to a 22-14 guy, and all of a sudden we're criticizing 
what's wrong with Zach Eady? And he's putting up 22 points and getting about 14 rebounds, and about five or six of those are offensive rebounds. So, you know, but Purdue needs that from Eady. This team was successful because of that production from Zach Eady. And and it's like, okay, so we can't really focus on Zach Eady, but you you certainly enjoyed the successes that Purdue was having when they were the number one team in the country, and they were doing it because of Zach Eady and his dominance. Now teams are trying to take that away and say, okay, we can't really stop it. Maybe we can contain it enough that somebody else is going to have to be the one to beat us, and Purdue's got to find that guy, and they've got to take care of the ball. And these freshman guards have to get back to playing really good ball. I mean, Fletcher Lawyer was hitting big shots. You had uh, Braden Smith, who was really effective running the point, and they got to get back to that. And Ethan Morton, I mean, come on, man, produce something. I know you're known for your defense, and sometimes that's not so sexy. We don't talk about, boy, what a great game last night Ethan Morton had defensively. We don't talk about that a lot. But I would think that he's still got to be somebody who can produce something offensively. Otherwise, they'll double off him every time on Zach Eady. They don't have to worry about him from the perimeter. He's got to hit some shots. And uh, and so we'll see what happens tonight. A tough place to play at the Cole Center as the Boilermakers take on Wisconsin. And it's kind of a a renewal or reunited uh, with, with uh, Fletcher Lawyer. And Connor Asesian, two of our Northeast Indiana basketball players, now freshmen, for their respective Big Ten programs. You're not going to like this text, though, that I just got. It says, please do not talk about Purdue. We don't want Rump jinxing that, too. <laughs> People are just going to blame you for everything today, aren't let's they? Let's talk about the Bears. Yeah. Let's talk, I mean, let's uh, <laughs> talk about something we can't jinx because it's already bad, right? Exactly. Yeah, we can't. We can't. I, I've not jinxed Purdue. Right? I don't think so. No, I mean, I talked about Purdue before the season started, and they got off and became the number one ranked team in the country. It, uh, nobody was blaming me then. <laughs> no one was thanking you then. <laughs> no, I didn't get any credit for what Purdue did early. And it's always the announcer. You know that. It's always the announcer. Always. Yeah. 46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line. 46862. Uh, let's go ahead. I know we're behind a little bit, but let's catch up because I know you've got some big headlines you want to tell us about with today's top headlines. All right. Well, Marcus Hammond and Cormac Ryan each scored 20 points as Notre Dame won head coach Mike Bray's final game with the 88-81 victory over the number 25 ranked Pitt Panthers last night. Bray, who was stepping down at the season's end and received warm ovations from the crowd before and after the game, improved to 315 and 76 for his final record at Purcell Pavilion over 23 years as Notre Dame's coach. I saw everybody on social media talking about backers going to backers. Is it linebackers? Is there a place in? It's probably a, a really well-known place for those that go to Notre Dame games. Yeah. But apparently Mike Bray made a comment about no curfew because he's heading to to backers after the game or something. I don't know. Somebody tell us what that is. But Yeah, we didn't I, get the invite. I know the plan. We didn't get the invite. But uh, I, the plan was to really celebrate appropriately after the game last night. Well, I hope they had fun. Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter returned to the NFL scouting combine today after turning himself into Athens police last night and posted a combined bond of $4,000 on charges of reckless driving and racing in relation to a fatal crash that killed a teammate and team staffer. The Indiana Pacers will look to make it three wins in a row tonight on their road trip as they are in San Antonio to take on the sputtering Spurs, who are 2-18 in their last 20 games, although their last game was a win against the Utah Jazz. 
And LeBron James, who originally reported to be reevaluated in two weeks, has actually suffered a tendon injury in his right foot, and he will now be reevaluated in about three weeks, missing at least 10 games. Tough break. Well, not break. I, I, that's probably a poor choice of words. <laughs> Tough tear. But LeBron, of course, I think really wanted to lead this team with the revamped roster. They changed over a lot of their roster at the trade deadline. And uh, you got AD out there healthy. And I think LeBron was really hoping that this team could catch fire and get to the playoffs. And I've been told it's Linebacker's Lounge, which is a popular place for football games. Okay. So that's where he was heading. So I and, and it was very public. Everybody was talking about it last night. So I'm sure it was packed and everybody enjoying a, a few drinks with Coach Mike Bray last night. Uh, 46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line. 46862. You're listening to the Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Listen live at 1380thefan.com. Got a lot to talk about with Kevin Bowen from 93.5107.5, the fan down in Indianapolis. He'll be joining us coming up in about seven minutes. You know, so many things that we jump on as far as stories on Sports Talk Radio and even a lot of the talking heads that you get a chance to see on television. It's always negative stuff. You know, a college athlete doing something wrong, doing something uh, criminal, and, you know, maybe it's, uh, transporting a gun to the scene of a crime where a young lady gets shot. Maybe it's just trying to drag race through uh, Athens, Georgia. Whatever it is, we bring up a lot of stories about college athletes that generally are negative. And so I saw this story, and I think we've got to focus on this story because here's a little good news, a little, a, a little what? What do you call this? A feel-good positivity. Positivity. Yeah, I mean it's a great story. No, no more negativity for today. Well, at least from I us. I got plenty of time still. I was going to say don't, we don't put out false promises. <laughs> I got plenty of time. But uh, but at this point, I wanted to to talk about this story because I think everybody will feel good just knowing this story. College sports, college women's softball. In Lakeland, Florida, story reported by WFLA in Florida happened at Lakeland, Florida, where Southeastern University was taking on Grandview University from Iowa. Southern was up four to one. Grandview loaded the bases. Three run lead, bases loaded, and Grandview's Catcher, power hitter, Caitlin Moses, stepped to the plate. And she delivered. Grand slam that was set to put Grandview up on Southern University. And uh, and Southern University had a lot riding on this. If not, I'm not mistaken. I think Southern University is like nationally ranked. And I mean, this was a big deal that Grandview got this grand slam to put them up on Southern, five to four. But wait, Caitlin Moses, after hitting the grand slam, rounded first and went down between first and second with what appeared to be a somewhat serious leg injury. And as she was laying there in pain, umpires and the coaches trying to determine what to do, they were notified that players from her own team would be unable to assist her. And if they tried to assist her to get her around the bases 
and officially record the Grand Slam, that she would be out. Well, that's where Southern University did one of the most sportsmanship things you could probably have happen in a college athletics event. Two players for Southern stepped up, Leah Gonzalez and Chapel Cunningham, and they said, we knew it was the right thing to do. We didn't really even have a second thought about it. Two players from the opposing team went, lifted Caitlin Moses off onto her feet and assisted her all the way around the bases, one under each arm so that she didn't have to put weight on her leg that was injured. They made sure to go to each base, let her touch each base, and they took her all the way around the bases to complete her grand slam. In doing so, Southern found themselves behind in a game they would ultimately lose 7-4. to four. Is that a great story, these two young ladies, that when they realized her own teammates couldn't come out and help her, They realized what a big moment this was for Caitlin Moses to hit this grand slam to put her team ahead that they went as opponents and picked her up and took her around the bases because there was no rule against opponents aiding a runner, but her own team couldn't help her. What sportsmanship? I mean, that's just a total feel-good story. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's what sports are all about. I mean, uh, I, I saw that and I thought, you know, we've been, you know, we always jump on these stories, man. We can't wait to jump on these stories that uh, have have negative outcomes, but or, or make an athlete uh, question whether he's a good guy or bad guy. And it's like, man, there's no doubt in this game that Leah Gonzalez and Chapel Cunningham are a couple of the best sports we've got playing out in college uh, softball. And they deserve all the recognition that you can possibly give them. Uh, so big thumbs up for, for them. Uh, we got to take a break. When we come back, we've got KB, Kevin Bowen to talk NFL combine Colts. Also, uh, we've got to send along our condolences. Someone in, uh, in the Indianapolis media circles passed away far too young from cancer. And, uh, we'll talk to KB about his, his influence on the entire community of uh, media members down there in Indianapolis. Kevin Bowen joining us next here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Just one day left with the work week. It is a Thursday edition of the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rupp along with Adam Lundy in the producer's chair. So many things happening now in our state's capital that we've got to bring in the heavy hitters, the morning show co-host down at 93.5107.5, the fan down in Indianapolis. Kevin Bowen joins us on our guest line. And uh, first of all, Kevin, I would be remiss if I didn't start in uh, a conversation with someone from the Indianapolis media with extending our condolences. Because everybody, I think, in the media market down there in Indianapolis was probably touched in some way by uh, David Benner, who unfortunately lost a battle with cancer that he's been fighting for a while. And uh, it's just a guy that's gone much too soon and uh, left certainly a mark on so many people, not only in the Indianapolis community, but throughout the country. Yeah, without a doubt. And and thanks, um, Brett, for leading off with that. You know, David Benner was with the Pacers 28 years. Uh, I don't care what the company is, but in professional sports in particular, 
if you are with an organization for 28 years, that means, A, you are very good at the job, and, B, you're ex- extremely loyal. And that's certainly, I think, a couple qualities that I would describe with David Benner. And then I, I, I'm smiling and saying this just because his quick wit. I mean, he had such just a knack for knowing when to kind of insert a little joke or, and get everybody to, you know, it got to be tense moments in some of those media sessions. And he just had a great knack for knowing, you know, when the perfect time was uh, to, to, to drop those things. And if you look at all the ex-Patriots players that have come out and spoke about it, I mean, Reggie Wayne on social media, Mark Jackson said it last night on the ESPN telecast, but David West, Miles Turner, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, a great individual will be sorely missed. I think about his wife, Jane, and his brothers, Bill and Larry, and uh, Mike Wells, you know, a colleague of mine here in Indianapolis who's extremely close with him, Mike Chappell. There's so many people, um, a great, great individual, and was lucky to uh, to know him. Kevin, in taking so long to make the final call on a head coach, it seems like the Colts now are in this uh, hurry-up mode with everything happening so fast, not only filling a staff, but then they've got the combine, you've got the free agency period. It seems like everything is so condensed right now. Uh, most of the staff pretty complete. I'm not even sure uh, if it, what is there one more opening on the staff. It seems like pretty much everybody's been hired. I don't know exactly all the positions they have when you go down and and talk about you know the uh, the kicker shoe coach and uh, all this other stuff <laughs> they've got. But uh, when you look at the coaching staff, your thoughts? Yeah, it's a very stark contrast from one side of the ball to the other, Brett. I'm um, offensively, you are very young defensively you're really in, really experienced and you brought back Gus Bradley and seemingly his uh, his position coaches nothing official yet on that that is a really experienced group linebackers coach Richard Smith DB coach Ron Milas they both have been in the league for multiple decades Gus Bradley of course has been in the league for a long time offensively when you look at the position coaches Brett quarterback running back wide out tight end and o-line those five coaches have combined to coach five years in the NFL as full-time position coaches. So it's a really young group. Reggie Wayne, a part of that group, mm-hmm. of course, one year as the wideouts coach last season, he's being brought back. What I do like about the offense is what they lack in experience. Uh, there's certainly quarterback play calling background from multiple coaches on staff. Um, there is some, I think, more of a modern kind of innovative sort of feel to several of those staff members as well. And I think that's really important when you're going to make this commitment to a young quarterback. Um, offensive line, little concern there. It'll be Tony Sperano Jr. and that he's never done it. It's his first time being a full, full-time full uh, O-line coach in the league. He's been an assistant O-line coach for the last handful of seasons, and we know full well, you know, all the, frankly, all the coaching that's probably needed for that group after last season. Um, as far as a few spots to fill, you know, special teams coordinator Bubba Ventrone leaving, um, maybe a couple on, on the defensive staff, but, yeah, for the most part, it's a very youthful offensive staff and a very experienced defensive staff. Do you see any scenario where Matt Ryan returns to the Colts? Isn't it just formality that he's going to be uh, waived and released? Uh, I, I would hope so, um, and, and that is my thinking as well. You know, financially, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe it's a $17 million savings. I think his cap hit is $35 million for next year. You'd save 17 if you cut him by next Wednesday, the start of the new league year. Uh, if he retires, which I don't expect him to do that before the Colts cut him, I think the cap would only be $6 million. Obviously, it would be well served for Matt Ryan to make his most money 
as possible um, and then probably retire after that. Uh, but, yeah, to me, there's no need for Matt Ryan or Nick Foles to be on this team next season. I don't think either of them probably want to be here either, if you're going to be totally honest about it. Um, so along with quarterback, obviously, in the first round, you're going to need to go out and find, I think, some quarterback to put in between your starter and then Sam Ellinger as your number three. Marcus Mariota is not uh, part of the equation, is he? Um, I wouldn't rule it out. I, I think he was a guy that they had some interest in last season. Uh, him and Jameis Winston, I think, would have been a couple quarterbacks they would have thought about had the Matt Ryan thing not developed. Um, again, you got to have some bridge. I mean, Gardner Minshew, I think, is the obvious one in that you know he was with Philadelphia last season. He's a free agent. You know, the, there's a lot of things you can connect there. So th- they're going to have to go out and get some veteran voice and. You know, to me, I, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know Mariota super well, but I mean, that's a former number two overall pick that's, you know, experienced the highs of winning a road playoff game in the NFL and then having the franchise that drafted him, you know, turn on him and understandably what Tennessee did. So, you know, maybe he could provide some, uh, some perspective for the young QB, but you, you're going to have to have somebody in there. I don't think you could roll with, you know, the fourth overall pick or wherever you draft and then Sam Ellinger and those two be your only quarterbacks. On the 53 man on. So if you're going to get a bridge quarterback, and it sounds to me like you're open to that idea, it, will it end up being seven quarterbacks in seven years for the Colts? Is that where we're heading? Well, no matter what, it's going to be seven quarterbacks in seven years, because, even if you start the rookie, because, uh, well, is it six? I think it's five and five right now, isn't it? Is, to go back to Lux okay, last year. Know, yeah, I'm starting to like lose track of the years. Yeah, I know. Um, we call it 10 and 10 as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, certainly it feels like 30 and 30 for those uh, that, that, that are covering it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess under that circumstance, if you went bridge, you would go, uh, it would be seven, which is just a wild you know thing to even think about. I, I probably am, I, and I don't know where you are, Brett, but I'm totally good at throwing the rookie into the fire. Yeah, I, exactly. I think that's, that's, that's great learning experience. Um, I know there's various experience levels with the four quarterbacks that are being talked about the most, but I think you got to learn in that way. I think it's really hard. I, there's certainly examples of quarterbacks sitting and finding great success in the NFL. There's obviously vice versa of that, but I think it's really important to get that guy in there, learn on the fly, help build on the fly, and you know maybe not have that sit and watch semi redshirt year than the second year. And now we're already to 2025. Maybe you can speed that up a little bit. Well, my thinking is if there's a guy that ends up being important enough that you give up assets to move up in this draft just to go get him, he's got to play. You, I mean, you cannot sit a guy that you've you've given up picks and everything else to go get. He's got to go right into the fire. Yeah, I I'd agree with that. I mean, obviously, Patrick Mahomes is a guy that sat, and you know that would be you know perfect counter to that. I kind of forget Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen sat initially. I could be wrong on that, um, but you know, I, I just believe there's no there's no position in sports in my mind that changes more from practice to a game than NFL quarterback or just quarterback in general. But let's just go with the NFL. I mean, I've watched <laughs> numerous training camp practices where that that pass rush is not allowed to get within anywhere of a halo to that quarterback, and you're wearing a different color jersey <laughs> in, in in practice, so. For all those reasons, I just think it's important to get used to NFL speed and you know experience the growing pains. And you go three and thirteen or three and fourteen, so be it. You know Peyton Manning did it, and obviously had a big time turnaround. Andrew Luck walked in there and had success 
from day one. So, you know, there's various experiences through that rookie season, but I would be team play the quarterback from day one. I'd be interested in kind of doing some research on this, just thinking uh, spur of the moment here. But a lot of times I think that it depends. When you have a bad team, are you bad at the offensive line? Because if you've got an offensive line that you believe in and you trust, I, I am much more likely to say play the rookie. If you've got a very leaky offensive line, which a lot of teams that get the first, second, third pick, they, they've got problems everywhere. Uh, I, I don't think the I think the Colts offensive line's better than they played last year. And I think if they had the pressure of protecting a rookie quarterback, they would maybe be better. Uh, I would hope because they're being paid to be better. But I would be more likely, I think, in the Colts scenario right now to go ahead and play him. That's just that's just my thought. Uh, also, Chris Ballard has spoken. And I, I find this interesting that everybody seems to be focused on, number one, height doesn't matter. Number two, it's all about accuracy. Are they calling out one particular quarterback in this group when they talk that way? Yeah, I, <laughs> I think with all these comments, it's like, all right, how much do you read into it? How much do you read into them? How much is smokescreen? How much is lying season? It's such a difficult thing to gauge. I, I, I don't think they are necessarily calling out a prospect or two. I think that's always been a common theme out of Ballard. Um, I'm not going to pretend to know Shane Steichen's history with his quarterback comments, but, you know, I, I, I tend to think that, you know, accuracy is going to be something that, you know, most guys are going to mention pretty early on in the whole trait. Uh, okay, what traits matter the most? And you know, Shane said it yesterday, third and eight, and guys barreling down on you, can you deliver? Uh, you know, for me, Brett, it comes down to, Probably three traits, and I know three is, I, I'd like to narrow it down to two, but i, I got to go with three. And that would be poise, uh, that would be accuracy, and that would be athleticism. And you could probably loop poise and accuracy together a little bit, um, but if you just focus on poise plus athleticism and you think about these guys, to me it continues to come back to Bryce Young. And I, I, I look at him and think he can be a creator, I look at him and see a guy that his eyes are continually down the field. He's looking to make plays. Um, the height, to me, is not a detriment when you watch him operate. And I'm not going to act like Alabama had, you know, whatever. Uh, ho- nothing against Homestead High School. I'm just thinking of a Fort Wayne High School. I'm not going to act like Alabama had, you know, Homestead High School skill players around Bryce Young this past season. But C.J. Stroud undoubtedly had better skill around him at Ohio State than Bryce Young had at Alabama this past year. And Bryce Young was playing in the better conference week in and week out. And I think was asked to do more. Now, CJ Stroud, tremendous in the semifinal game. I just think Bryce Young offers the ability to kind of raise the ship a little bit if you do have some leakier spots. So that's where I kind of fall in the poise plus athleticism uh, package. Prioritize for me free agents for the Colts. What, what are the priorities? Well, the number one is the kicker, uh, which is wild to say because he wasn't even on the roster week one last year. But Chase McLaughlin, to me, is the most important guy to re-sign. After that, Brett, I don't think I stand on a table for really any of them. Uh, Yanni Ngakwe will be a really interesting case study. If you just look purely at the numbers, 27 years old, nine and a half sacks, 15 games played, those are three attributes the Colts have lacked at defensive end in a long time. Like, nice sack numbers, good durability, and relatively young uh, but I think we all can acknowledge, uh, first off, he's not a three-down guy. He's 230 pounds. Second, in, in the fourth quarter, it, it was ghost-like out of him in that pass rush. Now, he, he battled some injuries. So I think you have to acknowledge that. Um, 
But I, I'm torn on it. You know, Gus Bradley has history with him. You would think that would be a reason to bring him back. Uh, if you let him walk, it's all your ships into kind of Quiddy Pay and Dio Dangbo. And I, I don't know if I'm ready to do that just yet. Uh, Bobby Okereke, I would let walk, not because of him as a player, because you you have too much money invested a linebacker already. And you just can't pay Bobby Okereke, in my mind, the contract that he deserves. He deserves a multi-year starting level deal somewhere. I think he'll get that. I don't think the Colts can afford to pay that. I would bring back EJ Speed, the other linebacker. I think that would be a little bit more manageable of a contract. He also was your top special team player this past season. And I think the other notable name on the free agent list would be Paris Campbell. Um, I would bring him back. I'd bring him back on a short-term deal. Some injury incentives in there. Obviously, he played every game last year, which was huge. But you can't ignore the first three seasons. I still think you got to add at wideout, uh, but I, I would bring back Campbell because I think he's a different skill set than what you have with Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman. Any concerns about Matt Pryor? Would you consider him for the right price? I'd consider him as a backup. Yeah, you know, it, it, and you know, for those that don't know the Matt Pryor story, he was mainly an interior guy in his early part of his career. Mm-hmm. The Colts thought he could play left tackle last year. We all watched it. It was an epic disaster. He really changed his body type big time to go and play tackle. He's not a natural tackle body. He's naturally in the interior. So I think if you get him back to that sort of normal weight, if you will, and normal you know, body, then I think he could help you there. How I look at O-line is this, Brett. I think you got to really take a long, hard look at cutting Ryan Kelly. He's making a lot of money at the age of 29. Um, if you do that, uh, you got to go out and find a starter in the interior. Even if you bring Kelly back, I still think right guard. Could be in the area where you look. The Eagles, their right guard, actually is a free agent. So, you know, you obviously make connections there mm-hmm. with Steichen. And then I think you need to, I guess getting back to the prior question, I think you need kind of a swing tackle that maybe isn't a starter, but you wouldn't feel, you would sleep okay at night if you needed him. Like a Joe Wrights or Joe Haig, those types. Um, I think Bernard Ryman, as long as he puts on a little bit of weight, has strength in year two. I think he deserves to be your week one starter there at left tackle. Uh, but that's how I would add to the O-line. Starter in the interior, swing tackle out on the edge. Of course, college basketball getting to turning time. And i got to ask you this, Kevin. Uh, out of the Big Ten, which team do you think will be the one that advances the farthest in the NCAA tournament? And how far do they go? Well, that's a great question. Um, man, I, I don't feel great about anybody, you know, maybe in the final eight. I, I would go with Purdue. I was going to say, the fact you didn't just jump out and say Purdue right away is reason for pause if you're a Purdue Boilermakers fan. Yeah, and the thing about Purdue is, you know, they have had Zach Eady on the floor so often this season. Like, Eady has not gotten into foul trouble. Um, he obviously has been healthy. He plays big minutes. It's not like he's a big guy that only plays 25 minutes a night, um, which is, again, such a luxury. I, I just, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking – how the officiating goes in the NCAA tournament, if all of a sudden Edie's in foul trouble, really for the first time all season, you know, how does Purdue react to that? But, I mean, in all likelihood, they're going to be a one, you know, a, or, or a two seed. That's obviously a favorable draw. So I'll go with Purdue. Um, Indiana right now just has not shown me the consistency to bank on them to win, you know, three in a row against an NCAA, NCAA tournament-type teams. We'll see if the Xavier Johnson re-entry into the lineup, how that goes. Uh, but, boy, Purdue right now, just their lack of shooting around Edie. I mean, if you go back to Saturday night, Indiana-Purdue at Mackey, 
And if you just want to boil it down to kind of one stat, you can just point to the three-point line. I don't think anyone thought Indiana would shoot over 40% on the road and Purdue would be under 25%. But you watch the start of the second half, and Purdue's guys with wide-open looks, you know, Morton and Mason Gillis and Caleb first, clank, clank, clank. And then the other end, it's Trey Galloway and Miller Cop hitting those shots. Again, you're not used to that at home on the road for those two teams. So I don't feel great really about a lot of the Big Ten, which I know is kind of an annual thing here, making a run in the tournament. Uh, but it, I guess I would I would go with Purdue. I, I do think they can see 16 final eight, but they've got to make sure the turnover number stays below 10 and, and shoot the ball at a much more acceptable level than they have. It'll be a lot of fun as the quarterbacks hit the combine this weekend. Uh, Kevin, appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you again soon. Yep, have a great week, Brett. Yep, that is Kevin Bowen joining us. 93.5107.5, the fan down in Indianapolis, where he uh, is the co-host uh, of Kevin and Query in the morning. And always great stuff from Kevin Bowen. Been a regular guest on this program pretty much since our inception. About the time we started the show, Kevin Bowen started joining us and uh, – I mean, the thing is, he always brings something. Always brings something. Great stuff. We'll take a break. We've got the 5 o'clock hour coming up next. We've got a chance for you to win Doobie Brothers tickets. We'll tell you how just after 5 o'clock. Also, on the way, Horizon League Championship game tickets. We'll give those away. Uh, we've got Paul Casaro, coach of UND. The Greyhounds got a big win in their conference tournament earlier today. And a pretty special season for the former Mastodon's assistant coach, uh, down there in Indianapolis. Also, Dute to talk high school sectionals. We've got the semifinals coming up tomorrow night. We've got it all covered for you, so don't go anywhere. It's the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.